0: We all know kids love their snacks, but finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that won't break the bank isn't always easy. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online, membership based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids love the Lara bars, seaweed snacks, and the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds. But Thrive Market is so much more than snacks. They also have organic and essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash foodissues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash foodissues. I'm always trying to get more fruits and vegetables and real foods in my kids' diets, but between school, work, sports, and everything else we have going on, I don't have a lot of time. I need simple, easy kitchen appliances that can help me save time. And the one that I can't do without is the Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender. But the first time I used it, I was hooked. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most about the Vitamix is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole, muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years, and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last, and they come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop, and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insights to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. We all want our kids to eat their vegetables, try new foods, and eat better, but if you've tried negotiating, bribing, and sneaky tactics and it hasn't worked, there is a better way. And
1: there are things we can do as, you know, parents or chefs as the cooks to make those foods easier. So if kids do like sweeter things, how can we make our vegetables a little bit sweeter or a little less bitter?
0: That's Jenny Friedman, a registered dietitian and author who works with extremely picky eaters. We'll talk about sensory food aversions and the real reasons kids won't eat, the common mistakes that can make picky eating worse and easy, effective ways to get your kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods. So Jenny, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast.
1: Thank you, I'm really happy
0: to be here. Great, well, let's start off with your story. So why and when did you become an RDN?
1: I have been a dietitian now for close to ten years, um maybe it's closer to eight, and it was a long journey for me so i um I was like a little bit lost in my life for a while, but I've always really loved food and was looking trying to to figure something out in the field world food world and i you know I tried like farming and I was writing about food a lot and somebody suggested, you know, you could become a dietitian. That's something you could do. And it really just clicked for me. Um, I was never strong at science. So I think I had sort of closed that door for myself. Um, but once that idea was in my head, it was really such a great fit. Um, because I really, I love food and I want other, you know, I love helping other people love food as well and use food to you know, help them kind of be their best selves and live their best life and find enjoyment
0: with it. And so why did you decide to specialize in picky eating?
1: It was, I don't even know that that was an active decision, but it was something that, um, you know, really came together over the years. So once I did decide to be a dietitian, one of the things that I was interested in was sort of a more public health, um, aspect and was helping, to, you know, I thought that I, I was really interested in like education programs for kids and how can we start to do nutrition education for kids at a young age to help them grow into, you know, healthy adults who eat well and who, you know, like feel really good and have great relationships with food. Um, so in grad school, when I was getting my nutrition degree, I started to do a lot of education work in schools, creating curriculum and doing cooking um, classes for kids. And I did notice there that there were a lot of children who loved that and like loved to engage with food and talk about food and get hands on with it um, and try new foods. And there were a lot of kids who did not like to do that, where this stuff did not come naturally to them. And they really had some aversions and hesitations. Fast forward a bunch of years. um, I find myself back here. I started at one point working with children uh, with autism and helping to improve their diets, um, and quickly found that there were a lot of barriers to them eating comfortably and eating well. And here I am working, um, you know, that struggle is not unique to the, um, to autistic children, uh, or adults. And there's actually a lot of children who struggle to eat and have real food aversions and extremely limited diets. And, um, you know, that's who I'm with today. And it really is sort of full circle because, same
0: thing. Like I,
1: I love food and I just want everybody to be able to enjoy it as well.
0: Great. And you have your own children, right? I do. I have one. Um,
1: my son is seven months old and he is yeah, just starting to, Well, he's, he's
0: fully eating now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He just started. So do you make his, his food for him? You make homemade baby food?
1: Yeah, we're doing mostly um, like baby led weaning. So he's eating a lot of the stuff that we're eating. um, And it's been really special to be able to share that with him.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, so I started my site in 2017 and one of the catalysts for it was because of my children. And when I started feeding my older daughter homemade baby food, I was so excited to give her fresh homemade food. And I was so amazed that she just ate all of it and loved Mm -hmm. it. Um, And I just realized- we need to turn the tide here, right? We need to get back to the basics and, and offering real food if we want to raise kids who know what healthy food looks like and tastes like and um, all of it, right? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. That's great. So when it comes to picky eating, you mentioned some hurdles, obstacles. And so what do you find as some of the most specific and common challenges that parents face when they come to you?
1: parents are just feeling lost, you know, that they they feel that their child is unable to really engage with new food. So non-preferred foods in any way. And it's extremely challenging and disruptive to the, the whole family. So um, often these kids just have extremely limited diets um, and those really strong aversions to new foods. And often diets are limited by, um, you know, by texture, by food groups. So there's a lot of kids who don't need any meat or don't need any vegetables at all. Um, Mealtimes can be really challenging for these families as well. And parents just feel, you know, like it's, you know, it's the hardest thing that they've ever done and they don't know how to help their kids. And so what tends
0: to be behind that
1: could be a number of things. Sometimes there is something like an autism diagnosis, which isn't necessarily the cause, but can be a complication. Often, I find that kids have some sensory component there. Um, so it's something you know, they may be over or under responding to some of their stimuli. So that could be you know everything with food. Eating is a super super intense um sensory experience. So you know the the texture, the flavor, the smell, even the look of foods. Um, the way they feel, you know, in the mouth and the hand. Um, And additionally, anxiety tends to be something that I see as well, that most of the kids who I work with do have a lot of anxiety. Um, Sometimes they're stubborn. I don't think that that's a cause of picky eating. Um, And sometimes I do work with children who have like a medical background. So they may have had um, a traumatic experience with food or grew up with some sort of GI issue or, you know, like constipation, something like that. And something where we can kind of point to, you know, allergies. Okay. Like when they were learning to eat, eating wasn't comfortable and it was hard. And therefore they, they have now like self-restricted.
0: Wow. So it's pretty complicated. You talked about sensory issues and I know that a lot of kids are being diagnosed with, you know, the sensory problems, whether it's seeking or, or receiving, right. Is that the right, is that the Yeah, word? we yeah. could do
1: a sensory seeking, maybe an yeah. over-under responder is another way we could say it.
0: Yeah. And so how does that show up when it comes to food? I think, um,
1: you know, sometimes it just doesn't feel right. You know, I think, and that's like where kids and and how they sort of are able to show us or tell us is that, It's just not right. And it's not comfortable. But I would say that's when we might see selectivity based on textures. So maybe kids really only eat crunchy foods, or maybe they gravitate towards um, smoother, like easier textures, Um, or maybe it's flavor and they really like big flavors. Maybe they prefer more bland flavors.
0: Okay. And what about like gagging, things like that, or just spitting out food? Could that be a sign of a food aversion?
1: Oh, that's, yeah, that is definitely a sign of an aversion. And usually that's, you know, maybe it's sensory, maybe it's not, but certainly gagging is, you know, very different than choking. And that's just a a body's reaction. It's a big reaction of saying like, whoa, so definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I know it's an older title and I know I'm late. Here, but I recently finished French Kids Eat Everything, and the author uh, Karen Le talks about how French and American culture is so different, and you know where we as Americans have seemed to gotten it all wrong. And um, you know, in in France, kids eat what parents eat, and they don't snack in between meals, and they don't typically eat processed foods really at all. And so, I don't know if you've read the book, and if you have, what do you think about those ideas that she talks about?
1: Yeah, I read it twice, and the first time I read it was before I was working in this field um, specifically, and I, like I said, my interest has sort of always been here, um, and I loved it, and I was so intrigued by it. And the second time, it didn't, you know, I didn't have that same effect. But I think there's a lot to be said, and it's, um, I think what's challenging about that message is it is something that's happening on such a cultural level. So in the book, she talks about, um, and I think this is it. There's one other book that's similar bringing her children to the school. And in the school, they eat these very elaborate lunches and they, the children all eat them. And they really spend a lot of time focusing it, you know, at meals and it's a whole ritual. And that is not what we do here in the States. So I think that there's a lot to be said for it. Um, and I think that there's a lot that we can take away, but it's almost impossible to take our eating outside of the cultural norm. Right. Um, you know, when kids are snacking, all, when, you know, when your kids are at the park, it may be their friends snacking all the time. They want snack food. Um, and that that's certainly a challenge. But I think that there's a lot to be said about trying to maybe having the end goal in mind and maybe, um, you know, starting to sort of break down the notion of kid food, you know, and trying yeah. to feed our children differently. I think that there's a lot to be said there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think snacking is one of the biggest um, takeaways from that book. You know, I have two daughters, they're 10 and eight. And I think it's kind of absurd that they still, you know, in fourth grade, my older daughters, they still have snack time. You know, mm-hmm. she eats a great breakfast. She eats a great lunch. She's fine. And she's actually kind of given it up because I think that I'll pack fruits and vegetables and she is embarrassed by it. Um, or maybe she's just not hungry. And so it, it, it's just a lot, you know, I think even my eight year old, it's like, why do we need two snacks a day? You know, it seems like overkill, especially when they're eating healthy at other meals.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, and it's, but it's so hard to know, and it is such a part of our culture and a lot of our kids seem to be doing fine. Right. Um, and maybe some of, you know, maybe some of them would be better without that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So parents who struggle with picky eaters, are definitely well intentioned and desperate to fix the behaviors, but what are some things that we can say to our kids or do that are not effective or could actually make picky eating worse?
1: So I think one of the most common things that we, you know, is, is out there is pressure. So a lot of us parents were raised with the clean your plate mentality that, you know, you have to finish everything that you're eating or, you know, finish your broccoli before leaving the table or before having your dessert. And that is something that we've now seen in research that that is not effective and it can actually backfire and make picky eating worse. And so I think a lot of parents know that, but I think really diving into like, what does pressure to eat look like? I think our, like you said, desperation for our kids to eat and eat well really can trickle down and be something that our children feel, um, when they're eating and just add to their anxiety and anxiety reduces appetite. So it's kind of this big cycle that is extremely unproductive. So that's something that I always talk to parents about in being really sensitive and, um, just really cautious in how they are, you know, speaking to their child about food and they're eating at mealtimes.
0: What what do you say are some common things that parents think that are good to say that are trying to encourage their kids to eat, but they can actually backfire?
1: You know, it's tricky because also every child is different. So some children do really well with a prompt to eat. So why don't you take a bite uh, or try this? You might like it. So some kids really use that and do well with that. And some kids do not. Some kids shut down when they hear that. So it really differs child to child. But I think the things that you know, we might want to look out for our kind of like, are we hovering? Are we paying a lot of attention to what they're eating? Because that's not helpful. We just really want to let our kids do what they want to do at meals. We can support them when they need supporting, but we don't need to really be monitoring every single bite.
0: Okay, great. So what are some common reasons that kids won't eat at meals?
1: This is a great question. I actually just wrote a whole blog post on this. Oh, great. Um, We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. So this, um, a number of reasons. So one, we, you know, we were talking about snacking, like are they coming to the meal hungry or did they, you know, have they been snacking too much throughout the day and therefore they're not hungry? Um, is there nothing there for them at the table to eat? Is eating really uncomfortable for them? Um, Could they, you know, are, yeah, are they feeling really anxious and their appetites low? You know, think about the environment and the chair when we think about comfort at the table, um, because that could make it challenging for them to eat. Um, those are my, my big ones, but I, you know, I think appetite is really one of the biggest things. Um, sometimes kids aren't ready to eat. They sort of need like more of a, um, a transition and a warning about the meal time is coming, because if they're, you know, maybe sitting, playing, you know, watching TV before coming to the table, they don't want to sit anymore. Maybe they were watching TV and it's so exciting and they don't want to stop watching TV and they come to the table and they're not interested in eating. So those are some of the reasons that we can think about.
0: And what about that, you know, 24-7 snacking that we alluded to and and filling up on milk and juice and drinks? Can that affect how they eat at mealtimes?
1: Of course. So, you know, we want kids coming to the table hungry. I mean, think about yourself. If you've been snacking all day long, your appetite's sort of always in this like in-between place. You're always like hungry, kind of, but also just like kind of full. And like, especially kids, they're never going to be then hungry enough to sit down and eat like a dinner type meal, um, especially if it's not necessarily their favorite foods. So, you know, milk takes up room in the belly, water takes up room in the belly. So you do want to try to make sure that kids are having enough time between meals for their appetite to grow. And that can mean limiting food, certainly, and also limiting something like water and milk.
0: Yeah, and also portion sizes. I I found that to be difficult when my kids were were little ones, and I think that we think that our kids need a lot more food than they actually do. Do you find that with your clients? Yes. I think parents
1: in general, I think we tend to like they need more, they're not eating enough for some reason. We are always like, you know, on on hyper alert about that. Um and sometimes we do kind of get our um expectations a little off. So definitely, it's always best I say to just start out small. You can always add more. It can be really intimidating for kids to come to the table seeing a really big portion of something if they're not feeling hungry, if they don't feel feel like it's something that they can eat, they're just, you know, more likely to shut down than to eat a little bit. They tend to think that whatever's on their plate is something that they should eat and that's that's reasonable. Um so it's you know, always better to go smaller, you can always add more.
0: Okay? And what about eating these highly palatable foods, like um, throw it out there, goldfish or veggie sticks? I put those in air quotes. Um, You know, can they alter kids' taste preferences and really make it harder for them to accept real whole foods? I think it can. So,
1: I mean, I'm sensitive to this sort of topic because sometimes that's like, you know, there's a reason they're eating those foods. So I think there's definitely a portion of kids who get these foods and love them because like you said, they're highly palatable um, and they're easy to eat uh, and they're so delicious. And if they're kind of have unlimited access to them, um, then yeah, why would they eat a carrot? That's a lot more work. It's a lot less fun. Um, right. And it can potentially take, you know, kind of interfere with their tastes a little bit. We do get conditioned, especially to flavors of like sweet and salty. We get very sensitive to those and we can start to crave them more, or it can change our like tolerance and perception a little bit. So I do see that. But I also see that there are some kids who like, these are really the the foods that they feel comfortable eating. These are the foods that they can eat easily. And it's harder or very challenging for them to eat something else. So it's always, you know, I do always want to look into like, why are they eating that food? um, And why are other foods a struggle? Is there something that you know we need to change do we need to change the access to those foods or the frequency with which we're feeding them um do we need to continue to offer more foods or do we need to help with some underlying um challenge that's going on
0: right and it's cool too because it can go the other way kids can love to love their vegetables can grow to love their vegetables
1: of course i mean i think we can all as adults think about something that we've sort of like trained ourselves to like um, whether whenever i mention this to my Clients they are like, oh yeah, beer, you know, like I, <laughs> I had to train myself to like beer. You're right. But yeah, like, you know, it, some things are, some flavors might be less, um, initially exciting to us. You know, our bodies are conditioned to love sweet the second we tasted and bitter foods, you know, our vegetables are a lot more challenging. So yes, some foods can be, um, trickier, but there's, that does not mean that it's impossible to learn to like them. We just have to work a little harder. And there are things we can do as, you know, parents or chefs as the cooks to make those foods easier. So if kids do like sweeter things, how can we make our vegetables a little bit sweeter or a little less bitter? If those That's a challenging flavor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so this is another common challenge for parents that, they, you know, they present a food, present a meal and the kids just they say, I don't like it and I'm not eating it. They completely refuse. And so what does that stir up in a parent and kind of, you know, what should they say and how should they approach that situation?
1: I think that stirs up a lot of feelings that, you know, it's, it's hard and that's upsetting when you've prepared a meal and it's a extra frustrating as a parent when you're like, oh my God, you haven't even tried it yet. Like, well, you haven't even taken a bite and you're telling me you don't like it. Um, so that's, you know, probably there's few few more frustrating things to hear when you cook a meal. Um But one of the things that you can do as hard as this can be, I would just ignore it. You know, like sometimes it's just that gut reaction um, or our kids, you know, are feeling resistant or something, you know, it's not even about the food. If we just kind of look, you know, let that go and look over it and just try to start the meal. um, I've had a lot of success where it's, you know, sort of blows over.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. For any parenting difficulty, you know, my kids—they tend to whine a lot and complain, and it, it's definitely effective when you just—you know—I'll put my ear, my, I'll put my hands over my ears, I'll just walk away, um, I'll just ignore the behavior, and it, it is effective. But you know, I've had my daughter sit at the table and just with like a nasty look on her face, like, "How could you serve this? I don't want it," you know, and it's. It just makes the meal so not pleasurable, right? <laughs> no. And it's so
1: and it's hard. Like it's it's hard for everybody then because, you know, for you, you're like, oh, you know, come on. And I made this and like you know, what you you can be worrying about, like, well, are they going to sleep at night? Or what does this mean? Or what do we do tomorrow? And for the kid, I think it's really hard because they're like, I just didn't like I had something else in mind, you know, and they they don't have control. And it's hard to be a kid. So absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. for everyone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But definitely don't feed into it because that can just make it more powerful. Yeah, I think so. Great. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we'll talk about how to get your kids to be healthy eaters. If you want mealtimes to be easier and less stressful, getting your kids in the kitchen to cook is one of the best things you can do. I know it's really encouraged my kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods, and it's given them a ton of confidence in the kitchen. But if you don't know how to cook or you don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. This course was created by a mom of four and former elementary school teacher, and it's designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. With Kids Cook Real Food, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like Tex-Mex white bean dip and homemade pizza. The course is designed for all kids ages two to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that my kids made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real, whole foods and become healthy, adventurous eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food e-course is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash foodissues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com/food issues and sign up. So in our last segment, we were talking about what to do when your kids flat out refuse to eat the meal that you have cooked for them. And so now let's talk about what we can do to raise our kids to be healthy eaters. and so what does research tell us about how to get kids to be healthy eaters?
1: Well, I think health, you know, I first kind of think about healthy and I just, you know, I guess from my work, it's like, how can we get them to feel comfortable with food um, and eat real food and eat, you know, not only have to eat those, um, you know, the goldfish and those sorts of foods. So one of the things that, is effective It's exposing our kids to a variety of foods when they are learning to eat. So it's different flavors, different textures, and avoiding that pressure that we, you know, will use when we're older. Just really let them be their guides, and they can be the judge of how much they're eating and how they want to explore and experience that food. Um, you know, so we're with my baby right now, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm new at this, but you know, I'm encouraging him to get messy because getting hands-on and having those um, all of those like tactile and sensory experiences with the food can be really helpful in a a good way. Um, you know, for him to feel free and start to explore that food on his own terms. So we do want to get that variety, eliminate pressure. Um, another thing that's really effective is to model eating that food ourselves. So sharing meals together and sharing food is a great way because we're great role models for our kids. Um, And trying to make meals be really pleasant. You know, those can be the foundations of working to raise kids who eat well and have a good relationship with food.
0: Right. And so it takes time, right? The repeated exposures. I mean, I've read studies where, you know, it can take up to 15 times of introducing a new food for your kids to even taste it, let alone accept it, right?
1: Yes, definitely. So this research is really interesting um, because this research typically is looking at Just general, like general kids, like a general pediatric population. Um, And it does show that kids need a lot of time to warm up to new food. So it can be, you know, I think the research does go up to about that 15, like starts at about eight. Um, And in my experience, kids might need double, triple, quadruple that. Um, so exposure is really helpful. And like we were talking about earlier, how we can sort of train ourselves to like new foods, um, same sort of thing. The more we see and the more we taste a new food, the more we tend to like it and the easier it gets. So that's why we do want to like continue. Don't give up. I think that's kind of one of my biggest mistakes that I see in families that we, that I could have mentioned before is to, you know, don't assume that just because you offer a food one time and your kid doesn't eat it or says that they don't like it, that it means that they don't like it, that, that you should never offer it again. Continue to offer those exposures um, all the time, even if you're going over 15 times.
0: Right. And and also, is it normal, would you say, that kids may accept certain foods and then say a, a year later completely refuse to eat it?
1: Nor- I mean, ki- you know, kids are kids. And yes. So yes, they do <laughs> see this all the time. They like something one day. They don't like it the next day. Um, you know, and they do that with things that aren't even food. So that's another thing I would sort of take with a grain of salt. Um, but you can always still continue to to expose them to that food, continue to serve it. Um, if it's a pattern, you can always try changing up how you serve it. So, you know, pairing it with something else, cooking it differently, cutting it a different way. You've got a lot of alternatives, but, um, really I think the goal should always be to continue to offer a wide variety of food.
0: Yeah, I mean, the big takeaway really is that kids are just like us, right? We get tired too of the totally. same old all the time. Exactly. Yeah, so there was a recent report from the CDC and it found that 90% of kids eat vegetables on any given day, so that's good. But only 16% are eating the green leafy vegetables and they're eating more of the red and yellow type vegetables which tend to be sweeter. Um, and so we know, we hear as parents all the time, our kids need to eat their vegetables. And we know this, right? Inherently. But I think the parents just kind of stop there and don't look at why. And so can you go through some of the reasons that it is really important for for kids to be eating their vegetables?
1: Well, vegetables are really good for us, you know, so lots of vitamins and fiber. um, But I think, you know, one of these things, or, or the way I kind of look at it is, most kids are okay with their eating. Even the kids who I work with who have extremely limited diets usually don't have like vitamin deficiencies or something like that. They most can benefit from more. Um, and it's certainly like more fiber in their diets um, and more color. But, you know, fruits and vegetables do have very similar um, nutrient profiles in terms of the vitamins. So if you are worried as a parent, you know, just you can, will probably feel um, some relief if your child is eating fruit. Uh, We do, you know, the vegetables are good because they're, they're good for us. And so when we're talking about kids, we, and, you know, we're talking about raising kids who, you know, eat well as adults and it's important then to get that exposure and experience and to start developing the palate at that young age.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so what are some common mistakes that parents make when offering vegetables and also new foods? Uh, well, portion
1: size, I think you hit on one where we can think about offering something that's way too large. Um, so generally, you know, smaller is going to be a lot easier for kids to accept. Um, and I think this is something that I think about a lot with my, th- my son. Um, I think sometimes we like forget to make the food look or taste good. We're sort of like, oh, here's the broccoli, just eat the broccoli. And it's like, we all kind of have to eat it. It's like, <laughs> no, let's make that broccoli really yummy. And we know kids like sweets. So how can we make the broccoli a little bit sweeter? Is it pairing it with a, a sauce or roasting it, even adding like a tiny little bit of sugar when you roast it, turns it into like broccoli candy. It's delicious. Um, Wow. That sounds great. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) I did it recently. My husband's like, what'd you do here? This is (laughs) is good. Um, So, you know, I I think that we sort of forget about that. Um, And bitter is the flavor that's really challenging for kids. So we can pair sweet with bitter, we can pair fat with bitter, and that will help it be a little bit more appealing. So, you know, try to try to make it like you know, kid friendly and, and good, tasty and okay. pretty.
0: Yeah. So what are your, what are some more tips of how to, to get your kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods?
1: Ooh, so many. Um, I, you know, my big thing is really like, let's get them, you know, let's be good role models and let's get them involved. So if you are a cook, you know, if you're, if your family cooks, like let's get the kids helping in that process. If you don't cook, Let's still get them involved in making the dinner and making some decisions and going to the grocery store in, um, you know, the the whole process, because the more control they have, the more exposure they have, the more hands on they are, the more interest, incentive um, and comfort they will feel and have.
0: Yeah, I love bringing my kids to the farmer's market because you can find even you know vegetables that you've never tried um, and then bring it home and figure out how to make it or try a new recipe. I think that's really effective for kids because when they have choices, they feel more empowered and in control of their meals. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, getting them, you know, giving them choices is so great and involving them in that whole process. And like, I love the, the farmer's market. Uh, experience and idea because then they're involved in the whole process Then it's something you're doing together. It's not just them. Um, You know, it's something that you can also enjoy. And there's so many different sort of levels of like enjoyment, involvement and learning. Um, So that's such a great, a great idea.
0: Yeah. And I love your idea of having family meals together and modeling those healthy eating habits. I've talked about this before, but I think that one of the best ways my kids have really grown to love vegetables and particularly salad is because when they were toddlers, I would, you know, t- I have a huge um, solid wood bowl with a mezzaluna and I'll make a big salad. And when they were toddlers, I would do that. And they were so fascinated. They wanted to eat the way mommy was eating. And to this day, I mean, they just love salad. And I think that they, because they wanted to be like me or they were interested in what I was eating. And I think it's just so important to sit down with your kids and model those those healthy eating habits.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's not just you, you know, like the research supports that. So it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's so important. And it's really great because it's not, you know, eating's not only about the food and the nutrition. It's also about the experience and family meals. More research um, supports that. But like family meals are, I feel like the best things that we can do for our kids. It's so beneficial for them on so many different levels.
0: Yeah. And then another thing is, you know, kids are definitely lately, I think on the devices too much, but you can find healthy cooking shows and that really can inspire kids to want to cook and get in the kitchen with their, with their parents and make healthy meals if it's a healthy cooking show.
1: Yeah, totally. Find anything like that, that gets your kid engaged. Like what is it for them that gets them interested and curious in helping, you know, curious about food, interested in helping out.
0: Yeah. And then one more tip I, I love is that um, I think that when if you have a friend, a, a, a peer of your child who eats healthy and they have a play date, that can really get your kid interested in eating healthy. Or if it's grandparents, grandparents typically will feed kids treats. But if you have a grandparent who, you know, my my mother-in-law, she's off the boat Italian and makes amazing lentil soup and all these different types of meals. And my kids really have been exposed to more healthy types of foods because of it. So I think that if you do have a grandparent or family member who eats healthy, that's a great way to get your kid um, out of those picky eating behaviors. And, you know, even if you're not there, that that's even better, I think. Yeah, definitely.
1: And kids, I you know, friends, um, family, these are all excellent excellent role models. And Kids too, you know, they're, they're kids, they do crazy things. Um, they have a special relationship with mom and dad. And so they'll often do, you know, something different. And that includes eating differently. Like when they're out of the house with grandma or grandpa or with a friend at school. So that is a great opportunity for them as well.
0: Yeah. So I think that there are a lot of parents who really are frustrated and at their wits end. You know, I read a lot of posts on picky eating boards on Facebook and just friends of mine have told me through the years they're just really frustrated with trying to get their kids to eat better. And so, you know, they're often concerned, right, about how much nutrition their kids are eating, what they're eating, how they're eating. And so if parents are concerned about their child's diet and their eating habits or their overall growth trends, what should they do?
1: So bring this up to your pediatrician should be your first go-to. I recommend keeping a food log for, you know, at least a couple of days of what your child is eating. Um, Just as a little more data, I think, you know, doctors, pediatricians are used to hearing this a lot that, oh, my kid's really picky and I'm worried. And, you know, they look at their weight and they're like, actually, they're, you know, they're fine. Everything looks okay. Don't worry, kids are picky. It's normal. So if you really are concerned, um, I think coming with data, is just really helpful, and the pediatrician would be your first place to go. If you, um, you know, don't feel that you're getting support there, maybe you want to look into another pediatrician. You can certainly always reach out to me, um, and I'd be happy to help you through that process. But it, it can feel like sometimes it's hard to get the support, so I would just really continue to advocate for yourself and to, like I said, go with, you know, all the data that you you have to support your concerns.
0: Yeah. And the problem with, I, I mean, pediatricians are great, but, you know, they only get about 24 hours of nutrition education and then the visits are so short. And so it's not really in their wheelhouse. Would you recommend that someone go see a registered dietitian nutritionist? I, I
1: would. If you're concerned, then I would, you know, find any help that you need. I think the pediatrician is a great place to start because often they can give you a referral if you're not looking to do it privately, or sometimes there might be something underlying that needs like the evaluation, um, of like an occupational therapist or a speech therapist. So the doctor is a great place to start, but yes, they have found that often the parents I work with do not find support at their pediatrician. Um, so always, if you're concerned, just reach out to someone, um, even if it's for, you know, just a quick, uh, you know, just a quick chat to see if your, you know, concerns are are valid.
0: Right. So I was poking around your website a lot. I was looking at all that you do. And I read that you're trained in the SOS approach to feeding. I have never heard of that. So can you talk about what that is, what it involves, and, and when it's appropriate for a family?
1: Yeah, so SOS is very cool. It's um the sequential oral sensory approach to eating. Um, and Dr. K. Toomey is the, uh, I guess, founder and it is a whole process of really understanding sort of why kids struggle to eat and helping them in um, a, like she says, a sequential way. And it is really heavy on the sensory aspect of eating. So takes into consideration that food and eating are both sensory experiences um, and that we can, you know, support kids if we are sensitive to that. So I guess one of the big things that SOS advocates for is that eating is not like a black and white thing. It's not that we go from not eating to eating, that there are actually many different steps in that process. So we can help kids, um, you know, sequentially move through those steps and sort of build up their tolerance and their comfort with new foods. Um, And they use a lot of sort of like play-based, like hands-on experiences with food to help kids through, through that process.
0: That's great. So, where can listeners go to find more information about you and connect with you? Uh, listeners can go. So, I'm
1: on Instagram, I'm at Feeding Picky Eaters. You can also come to my website, jennyfriedmannutrition.com. I've got a lot of blog posts and a lot of resources for you and a lot of new stuff coming out there. And you can learn um, about my program where I work with families online and individually. And you can also access my book there, which is called Stories of Extreme Picky Eating.
0: That's great. Yeah, definitely follow Jenny on Instagram because you have a ton of great content. Every time you post, I really enjoy all of the content. It's very helpful for parents. Awesome, thank you, Julie. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on Food Issues. I appreciate your time. Yeah, it was great to be here with you. That was such a great interview with Jenny Friedman. She had so many great ideas, especially the one about broccoli candy. I cannot wait to try that. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it if you could take a second, go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so that we can reach more people. Make sure you subscribe so you won't miss any of the episodes. I'm Julie Revelon, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julirevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.